Well, good morning. Well, that was terrible. Good morning. Better. <laughs> um, if we haven't met before, as Dana said, my name is Casey. I am a member here at Liberty Church. I am also studying to be a pastor and preparing to plant a church with the Liberty Network. Um, this morning, as Pastor Matt is away enjoying time with his family, um, I have the privilege of preaching in his place, and it is my joy and honor to do so. And I am thrilled to be here. I'm excited that you're here, so I hope you feel welcome this morning. Before my wife and I had kids, we had a guilty pleasure. We uh, liked to watch the hit TV drama, Blue Bloods. Uh, since kids, we haven't had time to do that. But uh, if you're not familiar with Blue Bloods, it's a show about a family of police officers and attorneys who are committed to law enforcement in New York City. There's a key character on the show. His name is Henry Reagan. He's the patriarch of the Reagan family, this blue blood family. And Henry instilled a rhythm, if you will, in the life of his family. Every Sunday evening, his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren come to Henry's house for a family meal. And in Henry's house is this huge table for all his multi-generation of family. All are welcomed, all have a place to, to sit at this grand table. And the meals that Henry serves are ones that are similar or somewhat resemble a holiday feast. There seems to always be like a roasted turkey or a roasted beef, and there's all the trimmings, what I would call the comfort food, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, homemade bread, all is spread on Henry's table. The meal is always full of substance and sustenance. And I've often reflected on this reoccurring scene that always happens throughout the show. I've, I've seen it as analogous to our time of worship on Sunday mornings. We as a family of believers, the children, the sons and daughters of God, gather at his spiritual table. And our souls are nourished with great substance and sustenance. Like a holiday feast, our time together on Sunday mornings is, is brought to us with great preparation. As we uh, pray the word, we sing the word, we confess the word, and we preach the word. In fact, the sermon is like the main course. A lot of time and energy goes into the preparation as it is served to us. We are fed and we are nourished on Sunday mornings by the word. And while Sunday morning worship is important, it is necessary, it is right, it is good, and in fact, as we've already heard, it is a a rhythm that God has ordained for us, it is not the only spiritual meal that we are to partake of throughout the week. Sadly, I think most of us go about our week spiritually starving and malnourished. We go from one Sunday dinner to the next without ever really feasting or experiencing or consuming anything of real substance or sustenance for our souls. This morning, we are continuing 
uh, our sermon series, Rhythms of Grace, where we are considering the healthy rhythms of healthy discipleship. And so far, we've looked at the rhythm of gathered worship and the rhythm of Sabbath or rest. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to the rhythm that God has ordained in a daily rhythm of Bible study and prayer that is designed for your spiritual nourishment and vitality. And even more so, my desire this morning is that God would use the very preaching of his word to not only inform you, but move you to a place where you experience the sustenance and substance of God's word daily. If you have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, as Dana highlighted, we have the black hardcover Bibles. And in there, uh, Matthew chapter 4 is on page 809. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4, which is on page 809 of the black hardcover Bibles. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. And then I'm going to flip a couple pages and pick up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. So here we go. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Bow your head with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to your word, we ask that you would nourish our souls. Father, I pray that this sermon would be a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would experience the sustenance and substance that is your word. Father, I ask that this time would bring honor and glory to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, as I seek to show you both God's design and grace in daily rhythms of Bible study, I think it is important that I start out by answering a basic question. And so that question is this, what is the Bible? In short, the Bible is the very word of God. The Bible is not merely thoughts about God's word or opinions about the things God has said, And more importantly, the Bible is not just a literary work influenced by God. No, the Bible is the very Word of God. And this is why we use the words Bible and Word of God interchangeably. And because the Bible is the very Word of God, it therefore shares the same nature as God. As God is holy, so His Word is holy. As God is truthful, so his word is truthful. As God is beautiful, so his word is beautiful. As God is authoritative, so his word is authoritative. 
in this church, I think we have a really good understanding of the fact that the Bible is not written about us, but rather it's about God. Uh, I think we understand well that the Bible is God's very own self-disclosure. It is God's self-revelation. That is why the Bible teacher and author who I've come to grow and love recently, Jen Wilkin, concludes that if you want to love God, you must first know God. And if you want to know God, then you need to study the Bible because that is where God has revealed himself. It is God, according to his free and sovereign will, that he has chosen to reveal himself, his nature, his character, and his work by the mode of inscribed text. And that is most certainly what we have in the Bible. So while we have a good grasp on this concept, I think we also need to recognize that the Word of God functions as more than just revelation. In fact, I would say the Bible functions in three ways. And so as we've already said, the Bible is revelation. It is God's self-disclosure about himself. But more than that, the Bible is also the action or activity of God. So for instance, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, the word of God is living and it is active. Psalm 33 6 says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, not only did God create the universe by his word, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Romans 10, 17 states that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God accomplishes his will by his word. God does his work by his word. And so that is evident in creation. God spoke creation into being. That is evident in salvation. Faith comes by the hearing of God's word. So the Word of God is more than revelation, it is God's activity. It's revelation, it's activity, and third, the Bible is an extension of the very person of Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 1, 1, the, speaking of Jesus, the author tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, we read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Revelation 19, 13, we are given a description of Jesus, and we are told this, quote, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And so, in summary, the Bible does not just function as revelation, but it is also God's very activity. He accomplishes his will by his word, and the word of God is a very extension of the person of Jesus Christ himself. Now, with that understanding before us, I want to consider God's design and God's grace in the rhythm of daily Bible reading or Bible study, and then I want us to ponder God's design and grace in the rhythm of prayer. So first, let's consider God's design in the rhythm of Bible reading. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, what we just read, Jesus states that we cannot live, spiritually speaking, without daily sustenance and nourishment from God's Word. 
Jesus said that man cannot live by physical food alone, but we actually need the word of God to spiritually live. And it is by God's design that he has ordained it to be so, that if you and I fail to consume physical food, our bodies will die from starvation. And I say that in a context and culture where we use that word starvation sort of flippantly. Um, I've been to countries where people are literally starving. I know in my, our own household, we use the word starvation. We hear our kids say, I'm starving, and in reality, they are only hungry. They are not starving. But if you have seen starvation, it is gruesome. It is not something to be flippantly considered. Starvation is a serious matter. Our human dependency upon food is a design feature that ultimately illustrates our dependency upon God. It demonstrates the otherness of God. We get hungry and need food. We need sustenance. We need substance. But unlike us, God is self-sufficient and is never lacking anything. God does not need. But more importantly than that, like the daily rhythm of eating food, physical food, so we also need to daily eat and consume and partake of the very word of God. If we are going to spiritually thrive, then we need to partake of God's word daily, just as we would partake of physical food. What I want you to see this morning is that the daily rhythm of being nourished by God's word through Bible study is, is not only God's design, but it is also his grace. So consider the grace we receive uh, when we daily partake of God's word. First, God is graciously revealing himself to us as we engage in Bible study or daily Bible reading. Because the Bible is God's revelation. As we said, it is through the study of God's word that we know God. And so again, I'll quote Jen Wilkin. She said, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And this is so important to get. If you want to know God, you must read and study the Bible. And the question, Why? Because according to God's free and sovereign will, he has chosen to reveal himself by those means. The inscribed text is his design and his plan. The early church didn't design it that way. The apostles didn't design it that way. John Calvin didn't determine it to be so. It was God who designed the revelation of himself to come to us in inscribed text. And so by the daily consumption of the word, we are daily informed about the character and nature of God. For example, it is by daily Bible study that we are rightly informed about who God is. It is the, the word of God that tells us that God is not some angry deity who is disconnected with his creation and deeply dissatisfied. It is the Bible who gives us a correct understanding of God. The Bible tells us who God really is. And it was Jesus who said, to know the Father is to have eternal life. 
And so the daily revelation of God that we receive in daily Bible study is God's grace to us. It is God's grace that we partake daily. Not only is God graciously revealing himself to us through Bible study, but when we daily partake of God's word, God is graciously at work in our lives. Because God accomplishes his work by his work, excuse me, we are sanctified and transformed by the word. This is why the Apostle Paul said the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that we might be competent, equipped for every good work. And so when it comes to spiritual maturity, there is no substitute for the word of God. If you want to spiritually mature and grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ and disciple other disciples, then you must partake of God's word daily. Parents, I'm sure you've uttered these words to your children before. If you want to grow tall and strong, you will need to eat your vegetables. As a child, I may or may not have heard that and I may or may not have responded to a similar admonition with something like, well, I don't have to eat my vegetables because I take a multivitamin. <laughs> I still had to eat the vegetables. But here's the thing, there is no Bible supplement. There is no spiritual vitamin that you can replace the Word of God with. It is the Word of God that provides comfort and hope to the anxious heart. The Word of God brings reproof and rebuke to the prideful and arrogant heart. The Word of God gives insight and instruction to the wise. The Word of God declares His love to the broken and hurting. It is the Word of God that brings spiritual vitality to your life. And it is the daily partaking of God's word that is grace to you. Daily partaking of God's word reveals God to us, graciously acts in our lives. And third, when we daily partake of God's word, God graciously gives us Jesus. Because the Bible is an extension of the very person of Jesus Christ, when we daily partake of the word, we commune with our Savior. It is through the inscribed text that we learn of Jesus' affections for us. It is the Bible that tells us about Christ's love for us. It is the Bible that tells us the gospel, how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It is the Bible that says, but God, full of mercy, sent Jesus Christ to the cross to suffer in our place. It is the Bible that tells us of his resurrection power that he was dead three days and rose again and is now seated in heavenly places. Friends, if you want Jesus, then you must have the word. For he is the word incarnate and his name is the word of God. And why is he called the Word? Because the Word of God is ultimately God's demonstration of power and authority. 
as we've already said. For example, God works by his word, and so with absolute power and authority, God spoke the world into existence. And with absolute power and authority, Jesus called Lazarus, a dead man, to life. And with absolute power and authority is the word of God that has called you and I out of our dead state of trespasses and sins and brought us into new life. And so God's word is the demonstration of his power and authority. And as we've said, this word is also his revelation. According to the author of Hebrews, Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation and activity. Therefore, his name is the word of God because he is both the ultimate expression of God's power and authority, and he is the ultimate expression of God's revelation. But here's the thing. There is no other way to access the word of God, the incarnate word of God, but by the inscribed word. If you want the incarnate word, then you must have the inscribed word word. So, as we've considered God's design and his grace in daily Bible study, seeing that by the word, God is graciously revealing himself to us as we partake of the word daily. As we are studying the Bible, reading the Bible, God is actively at work in us. And as we partake of his word, God gives us the very person of Jesus. As we've seen all that, it is appropriate in this very moment that we should consider our own daily rhythms of Bible study or perhaps even our lack thereof. And I would say that if there was a daily Bible study, Bible reading spectrum, all of us would fall to one side or the other, uh, maybe somewhere in between, but we would lean close to one side or the other. We we would either have a tendency to, to not study the Bible at all, or we would be on this side where we read the Bible daily, but we do it only to just check the proverbial box. And there is danger in both sides. If we neglect to daily read the Bible, if we daily neglect our spiritual nourishment, then we will lose health and vitality. If we neglect daily Bible study, there is danger because we are choosing to neglect the person of Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, if we daily read the Word, perhaps with a, a daily Bible reading uh, plan, maybe read through the Bible in a year, and we do that only to check the box, only just to get it done and out of the way for the day, then we are in danger of being like the Pharisees, who, as Jesus said, they searched the Scriptures because they knew that in the Scriptures contained eternal life. Yet in all their searching and reading the Scriptures, they missed Jesus. The Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks, whom my third son Callan Brooks is named after, commented about people who have a theoretical knowledge of the Bible without any experiential knowledge. Brooks said, it is a sad thing to be often eating of the tree of knowledge, but never to taste of the tree of life. As the sun is necessary to the world, the eye to the body, the pilot to the ship, 
and the general to the army, so is experiential knowledge to the humbling of the soul. It is very possible to participate in a daily Bible reading plan, tasting of the tree of knowledge, and never, like the Pharisees, tasting of the tree of life. And so, there, wherever you fall in that spectrum, this morning I, oh, lost me, there we go, okay, this morning I want to encourage you, regardless of where you think you might fall there, to ask yourself in this moment these heart-probing questions. So, if you don't read the Bible daily, ask yourself this, do I know and love the God of the Bible or do I worship a God of my own invention? If you don't read the Bible, ask yourself this, how am I spiritually being nourished? Am I spiritually famished? If you don't read the Bible daily, ask yourself this, am I aware that when I leave my Bible on the shelf, I am leaving the person of Christ on the shelf? And if you are one who does read the Bible daily, ask yourself this, has my knowledge of God led to a love for God? If you do read the Bible daily, what are the evidences of God's activity in my life? If you do read the Bible daily, ask yourself, by faith, do I have the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ Himself? Or do I only have the inscribed word? Regardless of how your heart might react to those questions, I want to admonish you to take up the word daily and read it for your vitality and your nourishment. I want to admonish you to take up the word and read so that you might be spiritually full. For the daily study of God's word is both his design and it is his grace for your life. As we've considered God's design and grace in daily Bible study, I want to segue into God's design and grace in the daily rhythm of prayer. As Jesus teaches on prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he shows us four functions of prayer. In verse 9, we see that prayer is how we communicate with our Heavenly Father. Jesus shows us that prayer should be directed and addressed to the Father. Prayer isn't some form of mindless meditation. It isn't some sort of silent introspection. Prayer is communication with the Father. It is helpful to understand that a dialogical rhythm naturally occurs between Bible study and prayer. And this is, of course, designed by God. As God speaks to us through His Word, we respond to God in prayer. Communication happens. A dialogue happens with God in prayer. Now, that is not to say that you can't pray without first reading the Bible, that you should never pray without first reading the Bible. What I'm saying is this, that in general, there is a rhythm to your communication with God. And the rhythm is this, God speaks, and He speaks to us through the platform and means of His Word. 
It's the venue for God's voice. And we speak to God through the platform and means of prayer. As this is God's design, this is also His grace. Grace because you and I as sons and daughters are granted full access to the creator and sustainer of the universe, who is our Father. The fact that we as creatures address God, the creator, as Father is something profound. Pastor Tim Keller, commenting on that, says this, The only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And you and I, as his children, we have that kind of access to God through the means of prayer. And that, my friends, is God's grace. It is his design and it is his grace. Prayer is not only communication, but we see in verse 9, Jesus tells us that prayer is worship directed to our Heavenly Father. So it is communication and it is worship. The very nature of prayer demonstrates the worthiness of God. In prayer, it is us as children who are addressing or beseeching our Heavenly Father. That order suggests that God is worthy and we are needy. And as we recognize our neediness before God and His worthiness, worship naturally occurs. It takes place. And not only is it God's design, but it is His grace that we worship. Because as we daily worship with reverence and awe, something happens to us. Even though our worship is directed to God, something happens to us in worship. It's very much like Moses' radiant face after coming down from Mount Sinai. He had spent time in the presence of God and his countenance physically changed where he was bright. And so worship changes us. As we acknowledge the character and nature of God, as we consider his love, his holiness, his goodness, his sovereignty, our perspectives are reset. Worship changes the way we view God, it changes the way we view ourselves, and it changes the way we view the world around us. Worship reminds us that God is still on his throne, reigning and ruling. Worship reminds us that God loves us and gave Jesus up for us. Worship reminds us that God sees us and hears us. And so it is not only a design, but also God's grace a transforming grace that we worship through prayer. Prayer is communication. Prayer is worship. And in verse 10 and 11, Jesus shows us that prayer is petition. I don't think there is a more clear expression for the daily rhythm of prayer than verse 11. Because Jesus explicitly says that we are to ask God for our bread daily both physical and spiritual. By God's design, we are needy creatures. As I've already said, in our neediness, we see a clear distinction that is all throughout Scripture between us and God. God as creator, and in his nature, he is self-sufficient. But in contrast, we as creatures are needy. When God chose to create, he didn't create because he needed us, 
He chose because he wanted to, but God was not lacking in any shape or form. In fact, the holy triune Godhead was a perfectly satisfied, loving community, eternally existing before the world ever existed. And so in contrast, our existence is utterly and totally dependent upon God. And by God's design, daily petition makes us aware of this reality. It makes us aware of a distinction between us and God. But with that being said, daily petition is also God's grace. Because as we daily beseech our Father, so we daily receive goodness from His hand. Jesus explicitly made it clear that God is a good Father. And as a good Father, He does not withhold good things from those who ask Him for those good things. And so, as God cares for us in our neediness, He is also demonstrating His love for us. And so, to petition God daily and to receive from God daily is grace. Prayer is communication, it is worship, it is petition. And in verse 12 and 13, Jesus shows us that prayer is the setting or venue for confession and repentance. It is God's design that we daily confess our sins and exercise repentance. Now, someone might ask, why would we need to confess our sins daily? Are we not forgiven of our sins when we come to faith in Christ? The answer to that is yes. We are once and for all justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in that once and for all act of justification, we are adopted into the family of God and we can never lose our place as a son or daughter in God's family. Even if we commit heinous sins like King David did with Bathsheba. But as children of God, we are capable of both obedience and disobedience. As children, we can please our Heavenly Father or we can displease our Heavenly Father with our actions. And this is true of all of our earthly relationships between parents and children. For example, I love, I love my son Asher. And that love is, is based strictly upon the fact that he is my son. And he didn't have to do anything to earn his right as my son. He simply was born. An action that superseded his will and his desires. He had nothing to do with being born, much like our spiritual birth. And when the son I love obeys his mother, I am greatly pleased by his actions. However, his actions don't make me love him more, and his actions don't make him more of my son. His obedience doesn't make him more of my son. He is my son based upon his status, not his actions. And the opposite is true. When he disobeys his mother, I am greatly grieved. But his disobedience doesn't change his status. He doesn't become less of my son in his disobedience. Even in his disobedience, he is still my love, or he's still my son, and he is still my love. 
The same is true of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are and always will be God's children based upon our status as sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. We did not earn our salvation or we did not earn our acceptance into God's family. We didn't do that by obedience. However, just as my son needs discipline for his disobedience, God tells us that he disciplines his children for their disobedience. And just as my son's heart needs to come back in repentance to his mother, so our hearts need to come back to God in confession. And it is our propensity to sin that makes this a daily necessity. Confession becomes daily because of our willingness to sin. I think we are quick to forget that sin separates us from God. For those of us who are in Christ, sin never relationally separates us, but functionally speaking, sin drives us away from the heart of our Father. It never draws us near to Him. So it is God's design that we confess our sins daily through prayer. But it is also His grace. It is His grace because in confession, we are daily received with open arms. It is God's grace that we confess our sins daily because God welcomes us with open arms daily. And so as we've considered Jesus' teaching on prayer, seeing that prayer is communication, it is worship, it is petition, it is confession, it is appropriate that in this moment we should consider our own daily rhythms of prayer or perhaps our lack thereof. Like daily Bible study, all of us fall to one side or the other of the daily prayer spectrum. We either have a tendency to not pray at all, or we're on this side where we pray, again, simply just to check the box, to say, okay, I've prayed and now I'm good. And so again, I encourage you, regardless of where you think you fall on that spectrum, I encourage you to consider these questions. So if you don't pray daily, in this moment consider, is it possible that I don't pray because I don't truly appreciate God? I don't appreciate His holiness, sovereignty, goodness, love, mercy, and beauty. Do I not pray because I fail to see God's worthiness? If you don't pray, ask yourself, is it possible that I don't pray because I don't truly understand myself? Do I lack a certain level of self-awareness? Do I not fully understand my neediness? If you don't pray, do you then ask yourself, is it possible that I don't pray because I don't truly understand my sinful nature? Do I lack a, a self-awareness of my need for confession? And if you're on the other side, or the other end of the spectrum, if you do pray daily, ask yourself this, am I praying to my Heavenly Father affectionately? Do I pray to God with a heart of love? Do I pray as a child to His Father? If you do pray daily, ask yourself this, am I praying with reverence and awe because God is worthy? If you do pray, ask yourself, when I pray, do I recognize my neediness in God's providential care? 
if you do pray daily, ask yourself this, am I daily confessing my sins? Again, regardless of where your heart might react to that or or where you fall in that spectrum, I want to encourage you to pray daily. Because prayer, daily prayer, is not just God's design, but it is your grace. It is grace for you to communicate with your Father. It is grace to worship. It is grace to reach out with an open hand. And it is grace to be received with open arms. And so in closing, my hope for you this morning is that you would understand both God's design and grace in the daily rhythms of Bible study and prayer. It is by heartfelt desire that you would not go from one Sunday feast to the next without ever satisfying the needs of your soul through daily nourishment in the Word. My desire is that you would see Bible study as necessary for your spiritual life in vitality. My, my desire is that you would move even from this place today, recognizing that you need spiritual nourishment tomorrow and the next day and the day after. I also hope that this morning you would know both God's design and his grace in the daily rhythm of prayer. My desire is that you would daily see your neediness for God and God's worthiness of your worship and communion. Bow your head with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. You have chosen to reveal yourself to us. You've chosen to work by your word. God, I'm grateful that you have given us the person of Jesus that we can access daily. Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a longing and desire to be spiritually nourished by partaking of your word. Father, I pray that we would see our neediness and see your worthiness and approach you in prayer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.